0: We are live from Art Basel, Miami Beach. The tent we are in today is Untitled. And we're bringing a great show to you. This is actually the first time we're going live. We have a philanthropist in Puerto Rico that has invited us to do a show. But for Discussions of Truth, and I am the host, Wednesdays at 5 p.m., I am right here with you. On Winwood Radio. So, this is the first time we have been out of studio, even though there has been invite and prepping. We're hoping for the future to broadcast uh, with Ricky Rosseo out of Puerto Rico. But welcome to uh, the show today. Last week we hosted David Janda, MD. He's the host of Operation Freedom on WAAM Talk 1600. He's an orthopedic surgeon, and what a conversation! and discussion we had with David last week, urging all to look into the medical industry. Okay? Didn't discuss too much about vaccines, but from a a surgeon that had been appointed to be part of a medical team under the first Bush, actually, is that 41st that just passed away? HW. HW. Uh, he was appointed by H.W. Uh, and had worked under Reagan. So his career spanning Reagan-Bush, Clinton-Bush, Obama, and his alarm could not sound loud enough that all Americans, and this extends, this isn't just American, this is globally you need to look into those that manage, and primarily, what David spoke about was the insurance companies that are manipulating health. Okay, excellent. All right, so working a few few glitches out here. Um, so, David Janda, and again, ientrottier.com, i e n t r o t t i e r. Dot .com impeachmashmedia.com stopmashmedia.com all three of those websites go right into an archive where we're coming up on 2 years 2 years of doing this program and we're coming up on the 100 episode mark here uh all of those episodes are available uh on on my website intrachj.com um uh, and I urge you to look into MixCloud, uh, and, and, and MixCloud has has all those episodes as well. Right. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So, and go to winwoodradio.com right now on Instagram and check us out live Instagram live right now. What we've done from studio in the past is uh, we've done Periscope, which is a t- I believe it's a Twitter Twitter live basically or a Twitter owned. Uh, uh, live slash TV, if you will, type production, but uh, uh, right now on Instagram, we are live and it's a really it's a beautiful setting here, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got South Beach uh, to, uh, to my left and to, uh, to Adrian's front uh, the waves are rolling in uh, the temperature is uh, very delightful and uh, Adrian's got himself a really nice little setup, really nice booth in here, uh, some great vibrant colors, some pinks uh, roses, blues, light blues, greens, black. Um, so if you're listening to this and you are local in Miami, please do stop by. Uh, in about 10 minutes' time, uh, we will be hosting Andy Lee Roth, who joined us a, a few weeks ago. Andy joined us. Uh, he's a VP of Project Censored. Uh, Project Censored has been around for, for a few decades, actually. They're Petaluma uh, slash Petaluma. Bay Area based uh, they dig into uh, the, the, the sway that is mass media, mainstream media hence impeachmassmedia.com uh, and that is uh, if you, you swing by the booth you'll see the shirt uh, right behind me. You can get those shirts uh, you can get those shirts on the website namesake website impeachmassmedia.com uh, for a, uh, a gift of, of $50. So uh, recent developments on the program uh... we received uh... doctor philosophy uh... jp Lindstrom last week uh... who spoke uh... who spoke about what's going on in yemen and what what we're looking at in yemen is a possible uh... uh genocide A uh, three quarters of the three quarters of the yemen population uh... are uh, are looking at possibly being starved. so then what we do is we turn to uh... we turn to um, He's listed as one of Atlantic Monthly's, if you're familiar with that publication, 2009 Bravest Thinkers. Mark Zuckerberg is on that list. Uh, Bernon Keys on that list. Other great uh, citizens of the world are on that list. But coming up here January 2nd, so we'll be opening up the new year by hosting Dr. Alex Deval, uh, who is a, a British... Uh, I'm going to categorize him as a sociologist because his, although he's written many books, his current book is called Mass Starvation, The History and the Future of Famine. So he'll present his case for what is termed Operation Starvation. And he doesn't speak of the 1945 U.S. Army Air Force's initiative regarding Japan under Admiral Chester Nimitz what he speaks of in its primary use the verb to starve is transitive it's something people do to one another like torture or murder mass starvation as a consequence of the weather has very nearly disappeared today's famines are all caused by political decisions this is a direct quote from Dr. De Waal. He's currently head at, at, uh, at Tufts University. Yet journalists still use the phrase man-made famine as if such events were unusual. The organization I work for, the World Peace Foundation, has compiled a catalog of every case of famine or forced mass starvation since 1870. Now, these numbers are alarming. And again, we'll be receiving Andy Lee Roth in about six minutes on program. But since 1870, he's saying, Those numbers have killed 100,000 people. There are 61 entries on that list responsible for the deaths of, and this is the striking number, 105 million people. He goes on to say about two-thirds of the famine deaths in this period were in Asia. And about 20%, not in where you think they may have come from, 20% in Europe and in the USSR. Just under 10%, i.e. Ethiopia, come from Africa. Okay, so these are, these are well designed uh, and engineered programs of starvation. And that is what Dr. Lindstruth was talking about last week that's happening in Yemen, whereas the population there is being forced into a starvation, and nearly three quarters of that population could be facing mass starvation and death. That's a genocide. That's a genocide. The biggest killers were famines that resulted from political decisions. Among them, the Gilded Age famines, the Great War famines in the Middle East, including the forced forced starvation of a million Armenians, the Russian Civil War famine, Stalin's starvation of Ukraine from 1932 until 1934, now known as the Holodomor, the Nazi Hunger Plan. The Nazi Nazi Hunger Plan. Hunger Plan. Designed plan to starve people. Okay? Not weather-induced. And that's a whole other topic. Geoengineeringwatch.org under Dane Wigington. As we know for decades now, the military is capable of manipulating your weather. Yes, right here on South Beach, where hurricanes come seasonally, and this program started two years ago when the Zika virus hit the shores here. Okay, not, 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 not via a hurricane, but the hurricane did follow. Okay. and it killed millions of honeybees hence a, uh, hence a, a producer out of LA uh, 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 honeycolony.com is her website asked me to write an article for her okay. uh, I have no journalism background folks, I simply started this program to deliver you things about your government, things about your society, the world we all collectively live in that you probably don't realize are going on, like the Zika virus being patented and the owner of that patent being the Rockefeller Foundation. That is fact. You can Google that. It's, it's public information. Okay, you, If you have the proper credentials, you can order a vial of the Zika virus to study it. Okay, And then on the flip side, in Wynwood District of Miami and right here on South Beach, you're looking at the pesticide that was being used. And there was a small little correlation fighting that because that pesticide that was used here called Naled that was banned by the European Union. Banned by the European Union. And that's why this fellow in, in Puerto Rico has invited us to do a show because I'd like to get Rico Rousseau on the program to talk about why he was rejecting that shipment. It's a known neurotoxin, folks, that the population of Miami, South Beach, and, and, and Wynwood were sprayed with. Okay, what difference does it make to me? Well, it's it's known to cause microcephaly. So, women that are pregnant with a developing fetus, it's known to cause brain deformation. That was the same pesticide used for the Zika virus. Okay, so, going into starvation, uh, innocently, we welcome uh, Alex DeWall into program. He's received his Ph.D. in social anthropology from Oxford University in 1988 for his thesis on the 1984 Darfur famine in Sudan. He's widely considered an expert on Sudan and the Horn of Africa. Currently, Alex is executive director of the World Peace Foundation, as I mentioned, or as he mentioned, as I read that quote, and the research professor of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. He's previously, previously held fellowship at Harvard Humanitarian Initiative at Harvard University. You can visit Reinventing Peace. That is his blog for current publications or current articles. Alex. Is related to British barrister John Dewall and journalist on the caucuses Thomas Dewall. Okay, so that's January second. So we open up the new year uh, by hosting uh, uh, Alex Dewall. We're going to be closing out the year with Scott Bennett, who, as the late Adrian had alluded to, uh, is a whistleblower. Okay, and uh, he's, a, he's a former U.S. Army Special Operations Officer, 11th Psychological Operations Battalion, uh, and and he'll be he'll be talking uh, talking to us. About what he wrote, which is it, it, it's a book, but it's also a report. It's called Shell Game. It's a psychological whistleblowing. Okay, so 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 six, seven, eight, maybe maybe a year now. We hosted Charlotte Eizerbitt, and Charlotte Iserbitt, uh spoke about how our uh, how our education is being manipulated. Okay, they, these aren't lightweight guests. These are guests that have worked for presidential administrations not campaigns okay? she was a, a top ranking director of the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan and Reagan fired her because she was opposed to the program called BEST which basically all that was doing was this is why she was opposed to it because it was taking the power away from the parent and giving it to the state so if you're a parent how do you feel about the state having that authority to say no, this is what's good for your kid, okay. And if you're a member of the PTA, you would most likely object to that. Okay. So next week, we'll be bringing on uh, Andy here shortly in, in, in a m- number of seconds. Next week, Jefferson Morley. He's a Washington D.C. based author and veteran journalist of over 30 years. His novelistic nonfiction books explore untold chapters in the history of the American nation. He applies his investigation and reporting talents to 15-year career at the Washington Post. Morley like combines granular detail with storytelling verve to capture unknown realities of subjects as dis- disparate as the Central Intelligence Agency. What we're going to be talking about with Jefferson is what Trump is alluding to with this whole deep state. He talks about deep state. What is the deep state? Why is Trump even talking about the deep state? Why didn't Obama ever talk about the deep state? Why didn't Clinton ever talk? Why didn't, why didn't Bush, why didn't these people ever talk about it? Why is it that Trump is talking about the deep state? And what is the deep state? So a journalist of over 30 years in the business, uh, in the industry rather, is going to be talking about deep state. And that links JFK I was actually in Dallas yesterday in a layover. I didn't get to Dealey Plaza. But what I caught, what my attention, what we're going to be talking about with Jefferson next week is our man in Mexico. Okay, I personally lived in Mexico. I love that country. I uh, speak a little bit of Spanish, right, Adrian? A little bit. I don't know if you. Okay. Uh, and and Winston Scott is the person that he wrote a book about and the hidden history of the CIA. Okay, so are going to be talking about next week, Jefferson Morley. I'm going to cut to a break. You are tuned in. To Winwood Radio, and this is discussions of truth. You're listening to the voice of Ian Hamilton trottier Check me out on Twitter and Instagram, and f- go to in- go to us right now, Winwood uh, Radio. Winwood Radio right now on Instagram if you like, and follow uh, watch watch us live. I'll be right back with VP of Project Censored, Andy LeRon.
1: From your lazy old son
0: Okay, back live. We are at 12th and Ocean. This is Art Basel, and incepted in Basel, Switzerland. I believe they have two or three, at least three uh, art festivals around the, uh, the, the, the world. Uh, Miami Beach, I understand, is the largest of those three. I think uh, Tokyo, uh, ba- Basel, Switzerland are the other two. Um, for the Miami Beach area, it brings in about 100,000 uh, guests. Uh, during this week that, that uh, are, are out of the area. We have with us today a very special guest, who, who, we, who we, we had with us um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Andy, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Good afternoon, Ian. That is a wonderful connection we have. Um, Andy, would you, please, uh, would you please tell listeners again uh, who you are and, 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 and what you do? Yes, I'd be glad to, Ian. My name's Andy Lee Roth.
1: I am the Associate Director of Project Censored, and uh, at least for our purposes this afternoon, uh, uh, what's relevant to know about me is my relationship to the project and the project's mission to inform people about the importance of a truly free press for uh, what we know and what we can do as a democracy. Um, and how Project Sensor tries to bring to greater attention the really excellent and important work of independent journalists and news outlets around the country and in some cases of, around the world.
0: So excellent. So, so Andy, you know, when I think of uh, California and specifically the Bay Area where, where you're coming from, I think of the Berkeley protests and, you know, students being opposed to this or opposed to that. And I think that's great because that sets a precedence for the rest of the nation that looks on and says, hey, wait a second. You know what? We, we can raise our voice in opposition. You know, we, we oh, wait. hold. Oh, yeah, we do have freedom of speech and we can say, no, I don't like this president or no, I don't like this governor. And Project Censored started doing that. For for us in 2018, uh, uh, quite a quite a quite a way ago. This isn't Project Censored; yes. is something new. We're talking about 1976.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, the project was established in 1976 at Sonoma State University, which is uh, kind of in the northern part of the Bay Area, um, where Carl Jensen was a professor of sociology and a communications and. Carl came to academics out of a background in journalism and public relations and even advertising, so he was very sensitive to the ways that news stories are presented and sometimes how they're spun, um, but he had the kind of deep history of the origins of the project is that uh, a student asked him how it was possible that uh, Richard Nixon had been reelected in 1972 given what was known publicly at the time about Watergate. And the Watergate break-ins, and the and Nixon's own involvement uh, in orchestrating those, and Carl found that he didn't have a, a satisfying answer. Um, but like so many student questions that are are deep, um, this led him to begin looking at well, what? How did the the corporate press cover uh, the Nixon's re-election campaign and the role of Watergate? There was no mention. Carl found the night of the election, there was no mention at all on any of the network TV stations of Watergate. It was simply invisible. Uh, And out of that experience, Carl began tracking, Carl and his students at Sonoma State University began tracking systemically. Well, uh, what are the corporate media covering? And that led him to coin a phrase that's now become commonplace the notion of junk food news originates with Carl Jensen and Project Censored. Um, the idea that there's news that is titillated with a can of potato chips or Pringles is, but that when you finish consuming it, um, much like those Pringles, you're you know you're left with stomachache, but you're still hungry. So, so all these years later, we're still doing what we uh, what Carl started doing at Sonoma State University in the second half of the 70s. We're now uh, the project is now expanded to encompass some dozen college and university campuses. Across the United States and up into Canada, and so we've now got a network of uh, every year several hundreds uh, students and faculty who help us identify and vet uh, important but underreported stories from the independent media.
0: That's abs- that, that, that's that's uh, great. Great to hear, Andy. Um, let's go back to uh, Carl's findings there in Watergate. Uh, what was the most alarming thing, apart from the fact that, he, that, that Richard had been reelected? what was the most alarming thing that he had found? And then how was he able to get traction? How was he able to get outside of his students people to say, oh, wait, hold, hold on a second here. There's something deeper here that looks like it's being covered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it was the, the power of uh, kind of systemic inquiry, right? Carl uh, and, and dozens and dozens of his students over the years that he was director, uh, first began just tracking this, and you know we have to kind of take ourselves back in time, uh, if only imaginatively. Uh, you know, at the time, the way Carl distributed the top twenty-five list of stories that he and his students put together—the the list of the important but underreported stories—those were circulated as mimeographed copies. They were there were physical print copies, um, and uh, what. I think lifted the project to uh, greater status was when um, some of the local independent papers including Bruce Brugman's uh, Bay Guardian um, began covering those top 10 stories. And that's another uh, kind of tradition in the good sense of the term that continues to this day. So since 2019, our latest uh, book, you know, we've gone from mimeographs to uh, a website and a book. Um, our latest book, Censored 2019, Fighting the Fake News Invasion, came out in uh, October of this year, and uh, since it appeared, uh, I was just checking up on this yesterday, and there are, I believe, at least 18 uh, independent news weeklies around the country, everywhere from Vermont uh, to the Coachella Valley down in Southern California, and uh, the... Um, You know, Spokane, Washington, across the country, independent news weeklies are covering um, some of Project Sensor's top stories
0: uh, from this year. Excellent. Excellent. So so let's get into some of those stories. uh, And uh, what what on that list right now, Andy, what is the most pressing story? Uh, well, I think
1: it, it won't sound uh, uh, super sexy when I first start to describe it, but one—but in fact, I think it's incredibly pressing. Um, uh, our number one story this year is a global decline in the rule of law as basic human rights diminish.
0: Oh, that's pretty important.
1: Yeah, I mean, the rule of law sounds rather abstract, right, to a lot of people. But what we're really talking about when we talk about the rule of law are fundamental rights, like the absence of discrimination, the right to life and to security, due process, freedom of expression and freedom of religion, the right to privacy. All of these are, in effect, fundamental rights that, according to a study published earlier this year, by the World Justice Project, their Rule of Law Index 2017-2018, around the world, these basic human rights, the, this ba- the basic rule of law is diminishing. They aren't just making these uh, they aren't just making these claims up out of thin air or some ideological axe to grind. The Rule of Law Index report that uh, that the findings are based on. Draws on um, a survey of over 110,000 different households and 3,000 experts from 113 countries around the world. So this is a massive uh, empirical investigation, as we'd say in my field, sociology. Right? It's it, there's real data based on the the experiences and the claims of real um, human beings, whether they're private citizens or experts, um, and what they. What the uh, World Justice Project found is that um, overall rule of, of law scores have declined in um, 71 of the 113 countries around the world uh, in the last year or two. Um, so these are uh, challenges that, that anyone interested in kind of uh, making the world a better place have to have to confront. Right there. Uh, As one of the people commenting on this report, uh, a professor of law at Yale University, Sam Moyne, said, this points to a crisis not just for human rights, but for the human rights movement. Um, And so when fundamental rights are falling prey, right, as we have a kind of a backlash against globalization and an increasing division between the rich and the poor... um, this story of the declining uh, uh, rule of law, not just in the United States, although it's, it's uh, uh, evident here too, I w- would assert, um, but around the world is, is a major news story. And again, like all the other stories in our top 25 list every year, if we're talking about this story, that means when, uh, when uh, students and faculty in that network that I mentioned earlier research this story, they were unable to find any significant coverage of this topic in uh, the corporate press. In this case, Uh we found one one story. uh, In January of this year, Newsweek published a story, but the story that Newsweek uh, published was based on the independent news report that uh, is the highlight of our number one story, a story originally published in The Guardian out of the U.K.,
0: Andy, are you finding, uh, certainly you're finding allies that you can trust in. You, you mentioned fake news uh, yes. being, being a, a, a main issue for all Americans. It's something we're fighting. We know, we know as a matter of fact, that uh, in the past few decades, uh, the ownership of the mainstream uh, media outlets... Uh, that's movies, that's newspapers, that's radio, that is shrinking dramatically, which means that the final decision making is going into the hands of fewer and fewer and fewer people. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, as an independent voice, as an alternative voice, uh, mm-hmm. w- you're looking at combating, again, to bring this up, fake news. Mm-hmm. How are you, when you find an ally, what are you doing to cross-check and make sure that you can have uh-huh. complete confidence?
1: Right. Okay. Well, good, good. I mean, uh, I would say in the introduction to this year's book, my project-censored colleague, Mickey Huff, who directs the project, and I uh, argue that there are two key approaches to fighting uh, what, you know, fake news, so-called. Um, and the first of those is to identify, to expose, and and counter uh, specific instances of misinformation and disinformation, and we do that, for instance, uh, to some extent in each year's book. With we have a chapter on what we call junk food news, which I mentioned earlier. So news stories that are so tr- that they're trivial and they distract attention away from real and important stories. Um, the other the other way that we have to fight fake news, though, is uh, goes deeper beneath the surface. I would say. Um, you have to look beyond specific instances of fake news, no matter how uh, outrageous they may be, and identify, well, what are the larger social and cultural factors that make fake news persuasive in the first place, right? Um, Put another way, you know, if we we have to look at both the content of fake news, but also the contexts in which fake news is produced and circulated. And there, in terms of, uh, you know, Uh, you know, how do we actually do these things? One of the things that I do with students in my introduction to sociology classes when we get to the section of the course where we focus on news and journalism is we look at actual news stories and we simply try to identify for every claim made what is the source uh, that provides the evidence for that claim. And and many times in news stories the sources will be uh, government or corporate officials and you and you can then think critically about well, um, is you know is that information likely to be factually correct? Is it likely to be? And it, oftentimes it is because many reputable news organizations are of course fact checking their material before they publish it. Um, but but even in cases where you know that process has been done successfully who's quoted and and what their interests are in their status as a newsworthy source is something that people have to take into account. This is where I think of fake news as being kind of the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's what we see above the surface, but the mass beneath the surface is the role of news as, pro, the news more generally as propaganda. Um, and sure. that's... Of a broader critique of the corporate news media that you were that that is part and parcel of what you were mentioning a moment ago, Ian, the concentrated ownership that so much of what is presented to us, not you know as media in the media, especially as news, is the product of an increasingly small group of uh, corporate entities.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 so then uh, there you've 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 vetted your sources Andy and you've mm-hmm. said look, you know, we've cross-checked this these are great quotes. These are these are uh, these are these are solid leads solid quotes. What are you doing then to expand your viewership and say mm-hmm. because it's almost an uphill battle, right? Because that that larger hand is going mm-hmm. to try to squelch your voice. And, and that's, that's symbolic of what we're talking about here. Generally, our rights are diminishing as human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And, and the right to know is one of those fundamental ones. I know it's not always popular and sometimes controversial to invoke the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Um, But in in the Declaration of Human Rights, Article 19 is the one that says the right to information, the right to uh, uh, share and to hear information is a fundamental human right. Um, And, and, uh, you know, what we... So that's in some ways an expression of an ideal, and the question is, well, how do we make that ideal actual? Um, So... You know, uh, I think one of the crucial elements, I mentioned earlier, obviously, uh, independent news weeklies uh-huh. and independent uh, independent media, much like um, discussions of truth here, um, provide crucial outlets for the project to uh, spread uh, um, awareness, to raise awareness of the kinds of stories that are not getting covered in the corporate media. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, we at Project Censored have a vested interest Uh, or a not so vested and open interest in uh, maintaining net neutrality because uh, the Project Censored website is a crucial way that we reach out to a global audience uh, with the information and analysis that we undertake. and then, uh, you know, speaking of radio, uh, Project Censored has its own radio program, which originates out of KPFA Pacifica Radio in Berkeley. Excellent. And we're on the air uh, on nearly 50 channels, uh, 50 stations, rather, um, across the nation each, each week. And so, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot um, in public presentations that I make about the idea of a networked news commons, and each of the words in that are bear some unpacking. Um, it's a network, um, but not in the sense of a television network that's owned top-down by you know, uh, General Electric uh, or, or some other big corporation. It's an actual network of people. Um, and, it cre- and, and it's focused on the presentation of news and the analysis of, of news and journalism. And it's a comment in the sense of that it's not run as a for profit operation. We at Project Censored obviously have bills to pay and we depend on donations from individuals to keep the project going. Yeah, sure. Uh, but we aren't, unlike NBC or MSNBC or pick your corporate news outlet of choice, <laughs> uh, we're not in it as a money making business, right? And right. so, you know, we, we all, uh, it bears reminding uh, Les Moonbase, the, CBS executive has been in the news lately, um, but it bears reminding that during the last presidential election in 2016, Les Moonves' comment about Trump, then the uh, candidate, was that, you know, what Trump was doing in the campaign may not have been good for America, but it sure was good for CBS. It was good for their bottom line, he meant. Uh, and so, you know, I think I think we have to talk about the ways in which we together form a network, um, and we and we do it because not because we're after the profits that may come, from it, but because right. we believe in making a better society.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, and Andy, can you share with us any political allies that you may have, uh, whether yeah. it be in California? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, today uh, I'll put in a plug because today, if you tune into the corporate news, it's pretty much um, um, an ongoing uh, love fest in myth-making about uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, um, the 41st president of the United States. And so just in terms of, you know, uh, I would say people who have encountered some of that might want to look to some alternative sources to be reminded of the full picture of who George H.W. Bush was as president. And so Paul Street has a great article in Counterpunch. Kevin Gastola uh, has an article published today in sh- uh, in and the outlet Shadowproof. Um, uh, Mehdi Hassan in The Intercept has a great article uh, great. Great. on... Uh, the let the ignored legacy of George H. W. Bush. And each of these each of these people is going through and, and reminding us that, you know, in 1988 George George H. W. Bush ran a racist election campaign. Um, you know, in, in Iraq, uh, a, he made a dishonest case for war 13 years before we had lies about WMDs. Um, similar thing, Operation Just Cause in Panama, in 1989. So there's a ton of corporate mythmaking about who George Herbert Walker was as a president, um, and by way of thinking about you know allies, uh, I would say you know independent news sources, Kevin Gastola at Shadowproof, people like Paul Street writing for Counterpunch. Um, although I don't agree with everything they they publish, The Intercept is often a crucial source. Um, I think in many ways we live in a golden age independent journalism here in the United States. Yeah. The trick as always is that it's not on the tallest, brightest pedestal, right? The tallest, brightest pedestal is reserved for the corporate news outlets that have the big advertising budgets
0: that are making money off of wars
1: that are making money off of wars and, and the destruction of our environment, uh, and, and the downplaying the importance of addressing climate change and on and on it goes, um, But I I often use a food metaphor. I mean, I think about you know, uh, McDonald's serves millions and millions of hamburgers a year, right? Famously, as their billboards advertise, and a lot of people know McDonald's as a enticing treat. But imagine across the street from from the fast food restaurant is a farmer's market, right? And it doesn't have an advertising budget. But if you go there and think about what your $6 or whatever will buy you, um, you'll come home with healthier options, and it'll probably taste better because it's fresh. And I think about news in the same way. The corporate version is a fast food, junk food version of nutrition for citizens. Um, and by contrast, the independent press, so you know outlets like um, Mint Press News, um, Counterpunch, Truthout, um, all these other organizations that we cite when we when we report the stories in our top twenty-five every year are the equivalent of the of the commerce market. They're bringing you, and here I'll just take this metaphor to its absolute limits. You know, it's organic, it's locally sourced, it's not got preservatives. Um, you know, the metaphors play out in terms of. They're not dependent on corporate sources as the only newsworthy people they turn to for information and perspective. They're not embedded uh, with the U.S. military when it comes to reporting U.S. foreign policy. Um, and so, independent journalism is to me really like the farmers' market, with the kick that, like, um, as people who participate in farmers' markets know, you know, the, the 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 rub is always, oh, but that costs more. People can't afford that. Um, but the fact of the matter is like, uh, when it comes to both farmers markets and independent news, it doesn't cost anything more to get the healthy locally produced option. It just takes a little more effort. You have to go out of your way because the pathways in a corporate society like ours are all designed to have us delivered immediately to the big corporate outlets, whether it be for food or
0: for news. So Andy, part of, part of this censorship... Um, growth that mm-hmm. America and the, 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 the world population is experiencing but but mm-hmm. certainly as American, I'm saying I, I, you know, I'm reaching out and I'm saying Americans, you're not realizing i.e. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts or whoever it may be, you're not realizing that, nor was I a couple years ago and that's why I started doing what I'm doing. You, we're, not re- we're simply not realizing we're, we're, we've been deliberately dumbed down uh, a la uh, uh, Charlotte, a If you're familiar with her book, uh, and, 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 and 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 there is this again, there is this growth of censorship. So therefore, uh, have you encountered? And one one of the, uh, from my view, is that one of the one of the kind of um, quick, uh, 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 quick ways of combating any growth. Uh, pardon me, any growth of an alternative angle to actually getting into any underlying truth, a Nixon-Watergate, uh, mm-hmm. is, is quickly deemed conspiratical. Yeah, uh, right. H- how are you yeah. dealing with that at Project Censored? How are you mm-hmm. fighting that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, so there is that notion of, oh, you know, much like fake news has been weaponized as a term to shut down discourse, so too uh, the term conspiracy theory or the the variance on that term, right? All you have to do is say, oh, that's just conspiracy theory. And then the presumption is that uh, any further discussion only reveals the extent to which uh, the people advocating whatever the conspiracy is have uh, tinfoil hats on or heads in the sand, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, anyone who's spent any time online looking at news knows there are some far fetched, quote, conspiracy theories out there. Um, but we also do live in a world where there is an incredible consolidation of power, not only in media ownership, uh, but in terms of uh, connections between, uh, you know, a corporate elite and our uh, 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 alleged political representatives. Um, and so the idea that there might be uh, conspiracies and therefore there might be a need for conspiracy theories is something that we at Project Censored have addressed for a, a long, long time. Um, and I think that the, the number one thing is to be careful, like when, that, when, when we hear those terms being used, um, are they being used to shut down conversation uh, or not? But I want to go back and pick up something, that uh, a couple right. themes in your question that you mentioned Uh, that you just mentioned. Um, One is this idea of censorship in the United States, um, and the other is this idea about um, why people might disengage from the news. Um, So first on the idea of censorship, a lot of people when they think of censorship, um, the first thing they think is, well, that may happen in other countries, right, that that censorship is the hallmark of a totalitarian state. where news is controlled by the government, and everyone in the country knows that the news isn't real because the government controls it. Um, And that's not necessarily the case here in the United States where we have powerful constitutional protections for a free press. but what we do have in the United States, and this is what I mean when I talk about uh, b- the beneath the tip of the iceberg, news functioning as propaganda, we have a lot of what I think of as self-censorship in the United States. Um, and, um, and that is real in its consequences as well. Here I would just point quickly to uh, our number five story this year, which is an, a case of actual censorship in the United States. Uh, it hasn't been well covered at all in the corporate press. Um, but the Washington Post uh, earlier I- in the year, we learned the Washington Post had banned its employers from using their social media accounts to criticize the Post's advertisers and other sponsors. Wow! So here's a case in the United States, in in you know our time today, um, of a major you know one of the major newspapers censoring its own employees.
0: Right. That's, uh, and, and that's uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, owned uh, 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 publication, I believe. Isn't that right? Um, the Washingtonian uh, report documented that
1: not only was this policy in effect, but that Post employees were encouraged to snitch on one another. Wow. And that the threats for using their social media in a way that could be de- deemed harmful to the Post's Advert uh, being terminated, being fired from their jobs. So when people say, "Oh, censorship never happens in the U.S.," uh, that's something that happens in totalitarian states. We have to confront the reality that you know the Washington Post, and as far as we know, uh, you know this is secretive. This wasn't this this policy wasn't supposed to be public. Own, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. but documents were leaked. Um, um, as far as we know, this this uh, this this policy remains in place. Uh-huh. So, uh, the last point I wanted to pick up as uh, as a thread from your really rich question, Ian, uh, uh, was uh, you know why are people disengaging from the news? And I think here there are two things that are hallmarks of corporate news, where independent news provides a. Uh, 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 meaningful alternative uh, one people disengage from the news because so much of it is negative and depressing therefore and and then in many cases the news comes off as rather boring to be honest i mean i wouldn't say that about all news stories but i can tell you from you know candid remarks by students in classes that i teach that students will say ah oh, man it just bums me out or, or they're uh. so cynical that it's just like ah oh, you know another another tale of corruption or abuse right. of power, right. um, but the other is there's sometimes, and, and, and th- it takes longer to draw this out, but sometimes they find the news boring, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which, you know, I mean, I guess I can understand at some level, like, you know, the, it's certainly uh, easier for me to open the page to the entertainment section and read about the latest band or movie than it is to dig into a heavy article on, uh, you know, financial corruption or something. Um, But I think both of those points, that news is negative and news is often boring, um, independent media provide an important alternative in the sense that the news, there are positive news stories that aren't just positive in the kind of hallmark card sense of, of, um, oh, firefighters came and rescued the cat that was trapped in the tree. But there are good news, constructive solutions type stories that focus on communities coming together and acting uh, uh, collaboratively, collectively, to address problems that they face. Um, And and I'll just just mention in passing um, several of these from our top 25 list this year, um, regenerative agriculture as the next stage of civilization, Uh, indigenous communities around the world helping to win the legal rights of nature, and a story about digital justice, how internet cooperatives around the country are resisting rollbacks on net neutrality, and each of those stories. I I I don't. I know we only have a limited amount of time, so I won't propose to talk about them in more depth now. But if people are interested in those stories, uh, they can go to Project Censored's website, ProjectCensored.org, and look at all the stories on this year's top twenty-five, and they can see our archive of all our forty-two previous years of stories. Um, but I mention those stories right now because. In some ways, some of the most underreported stories, the most censored, if you will, in the corporate press are good news stories, where good news is, is, as I say, this substantive, meaningful version of good news, where there are solutions and there are outcomes that are positive. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, and every year we try to highlight some of those stories uh, as part of, uh, because we at Project Censored see ourselves as part of this kind of movement of 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 trying to promote constructive and solutions oriented journalism. Yeah. yeah um,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And and I think I think it 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 it, it perhaps uh, the topic might might be boring uh, until uh, you know until it hits it hit, 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 hits home, excuse me. Um, well right
1: and I think I think those stories where there's solutions where you see like oh my gosh, the people in Detroit who right, live in right. neighborhoods that are deemed too poor for the big internet companies to feel it's worth their while, that it would be not profitable for them to offer internet access there. When you read about the communities like that in neighborhoods of Detroit, where they're, they're literally building their own internet and they're training, they're getting training in how to build and maintain that infrastructure. That to me is like, wow, that's amazing. That's not boring. That's inspiring. And I think, partly why those stories don't get the coverage that they deserve in the corporate press because they provide us with a view of an alternative that isn't a corporate-driven, corporate-framed alternative of what our, our country could be like, what our communities could be like, right? That there is the kind of technical know-how. Um, you know, it's right. mind-boggling to me. Like, I wouldn't know how to begin building an internet for my neighborhood. Sure, but sure. that's <laughs> what communities uh, in, in places like Detroit and around the country are doing as a response to the fact that big, the big telecom companies won't bring, won't bring Wi-Fi to their neighborhoods. They can't get access. They can't get online. Incredible. So Incredible. I think that's not boring. I think that's inspiring. And I think, again, there's a reason stories like that are underplayed in the corporate press. Because, because it suggests, look, you might not need to rely on your big, uh, your big uh, Internet company to actually have access online.
0: Andy, uh, from from left field here, uh, your your opinion could 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 the rash of it seems like I'm using the word rash because it seems like that's it, appropriate the rash of California fires. Uh, you know, and trying to hit, hit home here and say, hey, uh, maybe maybe some of these things shouldn't be boring. Uh, could they have could they have been prevented? How could they have been prevented?
1: Oh gosh, well, I mean, you know, anyone who lives in Northern California knows that there's no love lost for uh, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric PG and E. Um, Great. Um, and on a personal note, my, my sweetheart, who was an undergrad at Berkeley in the 80s, uh, told me, you know, they used to write their when they paid their bills each month to PG&E, they'd write their checks out to pig's greed and extortion. Ah, and those checks would get cashed anyway. So I, I'm not an expert on, on, on this by a long shot, but I know um, that in the aftermath of the campfire, um, there were yet again um, stories going around um, that a uh, uh, lack of maintenance on PGE's part had, had perhaps not caused the fires, but had led to their burning with the kind of intensity that they did. Now, that's I think it's important to immediately say that is one, one kind of link in the chain of yeah. causes that led to those catastrophic fires. Um, but it is a link nonetheless, and there's a, there's a long track record. Uh, again, as I say, anyone who lives in the Bay Area will know of um, um, PG&E putting their profits before the the safety of their customers. Um, And, you know, certainly the explosion in Richmond a handful of years ago that PG&E is still trying to um, uh, make financial compensation for. Um, So I think, you know... Again, I don't want to go off the handle and, and suddenly become one of the conspiracy theorists that we were uh, ah, uh, watch it there. expressing skepticism <laughs> towards earlier. But at least some of the accountability there, I think, at least some of the attention when we're having discussions about these catastrophic fires has to be focused in that case on PG&E as an entity. Yeah. Um, but look at the obviously the bigger the bigger one here that that the 800-pound uh, elephant in the room is uh, you know clim- we know. We know now definitively that climate change is, is uh, intensifying the effects by uh, creating uh, uh, longer seasons of heat, um, uh, by allowing you know, all over California and up the west coast, um, the invasion of the bark beetle has, has, uh, has been precipitated wow. by changes in temperature. And so we we can't talk about these catastrophic weather events without talking about climate change, even though, of course, that's what the corporate news media does.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. They they
1: talk about weather, and we at Project Censor talk about climate.
0: Right, right, and, and maybe you know, maybe a, a a possible deliberate dependency, i.e., Monsanto on on uh, a genetically modified uh, uh, organisms or foods, uh, and, uh, and 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 in consequence of, of the honeybees dying. Um, but anyway, so there's there's a lots of lots of different angles. Andy, um, what they're project project censored? What what take do do you folks, if any? Uh, uh, have on the federal reserve system
1: <laughs> that's a major that's a major topic in a sure. nutshell give it a couple I, of minutes I, here I, <laughs> I think i may i may try not uh I may dodge <laughs> dodge your question on that one, ian and just say that um, you know in terms of of, of, we'll of save it, you know one of Get the most it. massive operations in the country right now is the department of defense and you know the pentagon just underwent its first audit ever After having claimed for years that it was inaudible, and um, you know, I think I think if we're talking about like where you know follow the money, as the phrase goes, uh, keeping tabs on that story is a really crucial one. And um, in that regard, Dave Lindorf just has a a fantastic new piece out on the Pentagon that uh, people ought to check out. So excellent. Yeah, but um, the Federal Reserve, yeah. you'll have to get me on another time on that one. We'll, hey,
0: we'll do it. Um, and for all the uh, Canadian listeners, because we do have a, a following there in, in, in Canada, um, uh, Paul Hellyer would be a name that, uh, that, that might, uh, might entice you. Um, next week, folks, we will be hosting Jefferson Morley. Uh, this is Discussion to Truth. Um, Winwood radio? Andy. Thank you so much for joining the program. I look forward to inviting you back on. Lots of great information for listeners to walk away with, um, and that's what we're all about is, um, is popping those questions into our brains and then verbalizing them. Uh, Andy, do you have any, uh, any last words here? Uh, do you have any last, last words that you'd like yeah. to leave?
1: Thanks so much, Ian, and I just ask people uh, if you're interested or encourage people if you're interested, check out our website, projectcensored.org. We've got all the top 25 stories and much more there.
0: Excellent. Andy, have a great day. Talk to you later. Thanks, Ian. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Lee Roth a Project Censored, he's the vice president. Clearly, he's done a n- great amount of research on a number of different sociological topics. But folks, we are... Sociology. We are a society collectively. I urge you to question authority. Take them to task. Go to my website. Look at what I do and look at really why I do it. Broadcasting from Art Basel. Untitled Tent. This has been, again, your weekly edition. Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Discussions of Truth. I've been your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Until next week. Be awesome.